Welcome everyone, you're listening to another episode of Do We Like Murderer? And it's another quarantine edition. It's a segment of the Long Overdue Podcast. A production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. And uh, I'm introducing this for Dawn. Hello. And Denise. Hi. Who are going to be talking about murder. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so we are still doing our quarantine thing and that you can probably tell that one of us is not in the room and that would be me. Um, but I'm going to say that this has been really hard, not only because we're not together, but because I cannot just go to Dawn at her desk and be like, oh my gosh, I just heard the craziest murdery thing and I have to tell you about it. Like, that's been so hard. I'm like, nobody, you know... Nobody else <laughs> understands. Nobody that I'm, right, nobody else that I'm working with, I'm like, oh my gosh, she just heard the weirdest murdery thing and they're looking at me weird and I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I'm fine. <laughs> I'll go talk to someone else about it and then there's no one. No one else is interested. <laughs> I'm like, great. Great. Sorry, Denise. <laughs> well, my story is uh, probably one you've heard of because it happened a long time yeah. ago. So, but the book is recent. Um, it's called Closing Time The True Story of the Looking for Mr. Goodbar Murder. By oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, by Lacey Fosborough. Fosborough. Fosberg. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you read? I read In Plain Sight, The Kaufman County Prosecutor Murders oh. by Catherine Casey. Yeah, that one is pretty local. Um, there's a couple of things in here that I think Chris is going to find really, um, well, one thing that's going to irritate him and one thing that he's going to find really funny. <laughs> ah. Is that so? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, that's interesting because I, I saw that book um, but I have a hard time picking ones that we're so familiar with, especially like here in Texas, um, mm-hmm. because I feel like we heard so much about it on the news. What else could they put in the book? Some pretty funny stuff, I'll tell you. Really? <laughs> uh, there's, yeah, there's some things, you know, when you start digging into the actual killer and you know, you find out a little bit more about their past and things like that. You're just like, oh, okay, weird. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they didn't really play in the news, at least not in any of the news stuff that I have seen, because I remember some of the stuff because it was in 2013 when it happened. So I remember it being in the news, um, but I couldn't remember, like, all the details. So I started looking. And then I also wanted to see what happened, you know, after the book. Yeah. Uh, to see what was going on, like, but I can't believe that it was. That was like, oh. It was that long ago, 2013. Yeah, yeah, 2013, and yeah, I was. It was just stuff that I was like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, and interesting little things that they did not release in the news coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that definitely made you raise some eyebrows. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Kaufman, still kind of a small town, you know. Yeah. Well, why don't you go first since um, Chris may have to step out in a little bit and we want to make sure he hears your stuff. Yeah. So, okay, so I'm going to start with uh, Eric Williams. He is he is the one that did the did the killing. Um, so Eric Williams, he grew up in April, Texas. Uh, he was an Eagle Scout, and he was pretty much a big old nerd. So this is the part that's going to irritate Chris. Mm-hmm. He loved playing Andy, oh. and the way Catherine Casey wrote about it, like. She wrote about it in the way that you hate, <laughs> you know, like that stereotypical, like, oh, he was into D and D, and he like had all this big fantasy life, and he was, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's just like it's, it's a tabletop game, y'all. <laughs> like, yeah. it wasn't evil. <laughs> like and this Eric was Williams in twenty thirteen, but not D and D. So, so well, that was the part that I yeah. Do what? And this was in twenty thirteen. Is that what she said? Yes. Yeah, the killing happened in 2013. Um, the book was written, was published in 2018. Yeah. So we are well yeah. well past the, the satanic panic at that point, but but oh, it, it yeah. just shows how, yeah. how old. But I, but I can definitely see Catherine Casey's, like, because she's, she's an older woman, so I can definitely see her still kind of having that perception because it's probably the only thing she knows about D&D was the satanic panic. Mm-hmm. And she didn't get into it like, oh, this is satanic. But she definitely made some connections with him being who he was and playing like, D&D. Right, like disconnected from like, the real world and and right. that sort you know, of thing. And, I mean, he was a big old nerd. He was. And he was very much this stereotypical type of, you know, when you think D&D stereotype, it's a pudgy little kid wearing glasses, carrying a briefcase to school kind of nerd, yeah. <laughs> you know? Are you offended by Which that, Which he did, Chris? by the way. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you offended by the stereotype? <laughs> no, I think it's a, I, a, it's a accurate for a stereotype. Think, yeah, that's what people think. Yes. I mean, that's, that's what people think, that when... You're like, oh, he plays D&D. And I'm sure this happens to you all the time, Chris. And you're like, oh, I love playing, you know, role-playing games and tabletop games like D&D and Pathfinder. And people are looking at you like, really? You? Because you don't fit the stereotype. Mm -hmm. Something that's interesting about that is the the stereotype I have in my mind because of uh, where I grew up and the people that I knew who were involved with that they were very mm-hmm. pushy, aggressive kind of people. Mm-hmm. People that I would not have wanted to be around or still would want to be around. It was just, yeah. it wasn't the nerdy. I didn't assume it was more nerdy. Mm-hmm. It was more, um, more aggressive. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. It is. So, yeah, so I think he was a big old nerd. And yes, he did carry a briefcase to school. That is the thing he did. Um, so he tried to join the army. He was trained via MP, and he thought that 
that's what he was going to do career-wise, you know, join the Army and move up the ranks and all that. And the Army said, nope, they didn't want him. So he was really disappointed and was kind of lost there for a little bit in his life. So he tried to be a cop in white settlement, but he got fired for calling in sick when he didn't get his requested time off. So he asked for a day off. They said, no, we really need you here. And on the day that he had asked off, he called in sick. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it was like, really? (laughs) But he got fired for that, for being a big old liar. So why didn't the army want him? Um, it didn't really, like, she didn't really go into why. It mm-hmm. sounded like it could have been because he was diagnosed with diabetes. Um, but, I mean, he went through a lot of the training and even trained to be military police. Hmm. And so they didn't really say, like, I don't know if she didn't, didn't say or she just couldn't get the information if it was because of his medical reason or if, you know, he didn't pass the psych test or what like yeah just, he got he got passed over for it and it just really like shook him up and disrupted his entire plans for what he saw as his future career okay. goals interesting and so the next thing he thought he'd be a cop huh. so he got fired from white settlement and then he decided to go be a cop in Springtown. And he got fired from the Springtown PD because he hacked into the system to change his log. He changed it to show that he was patrolling when he was actually at a topless bar. Ooh! <laughs> Dang. Okay. Yeah, so he decided that he was going to go have some, some fun while on duty and then was like, oh, I should probably make sure no one sees that. So he hacks into the system and changes his his uh, his log. Wow! And so when his boss was like notified of this, because I mean it's the PD, they know what they're doing, and the people in charge of the electronic logs actually know a little bit about IT, and they're like, someone like came in here and changed this. He used his own like login. So they knew who it was. Oh my goodness! It wasn't like he, he did anything <laughs> special to hack in. Like <laughs> they found who it was pretty easily. And so when his boss asked him about it, if you know, did you do this? He lied. He said, "No, of course not." And so they're like, "Okay, so I was just asking you so you could admit to it, and we could like have some kind of conversation. I could write you up, and we could go on." But you lied. I have proof, so now I'm firing you. So wow. he got fired from Springtown for doing that. So it's like going in to cover your tracks, but then leaving just even bigger tracks <laughs> after you do that. <laughs> right. He was, he was terrible at covering his tracks. The thing about Eric is that he's actually really intelligent. And I think when it comes to like really intelligent people, like really intelligent people, not like, Oh, I'm smart or I'm street smart or I'm book smart, but like has an actual high IQ. A lot of common sense stuff just goes right over their head. Yes. That's Mm -hmm. true. And that's, that's common sense stuff. Like, yeah. Okay. You can hack into this and you can do this. You probably want to use 
a different login than the one you use all the time. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, kind of common sense. Or just not do it at all, and, dude. <laughs> right. I mean, yes. Don't, don't go break any laws. But if you're so smart that you're like, oh, I could totally break this law and get away with it. Maybe stop for a little bit and think about the common sense aspects. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I find this interesting so, that he was pretty close to us in Springtown and oh, White yeah. Settlement. Yeah. In Azel, yeah. Yeah. So then him and his buddy decided that they were going to move to Kaufman. And a local judge there, Judge Glenn Ashworth, had recently lost his uh, his court clerk. Court clerk had died of cancer. Oh. So he was looking for someone to, yeah, he was looking for someone to replace his clerk. And he had heard about Eric Williams and Eric sounded great on paper. You know, I mean, he had army training, even though he didn't progress in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, he graduated from TCU. He was a licensed police officer because he wow. got fired, but he did, they didn't take his license away. Like he went from white settlement to Springtown. Like he could have gone and attempted to be an officer somewhere else. And, you know, he would have been able to. So, I mean, he looked really good on paper. And so, Judge Glenn Ashworth decided to hire him as his clerk. And he did a really good job. Like, he was, the judge was really impressed and actually became, you know, a lifelong friend, a mentor to him. He's the one that encouraged him to go to law school. And, you know, actually gave him more of a, of a path career-wise. And in 1994, he met a recently divorced woman at a conference named Janice Gray. They dated casually for a bit until she met someone else. And then she was like, I think I could be serious with this guy. So she broke up with Eric. Eric seemed cool with it. Like, he, you know, it was a casual dating thing. It's not like they were planning to get married or... Heck, even, like, at a serious relationship status yet. Like, they were just casually dating. I mean, enough for her to be dating somebody else mm-hmm. as well. And then had to make a choice about who she was going to be serious with. Yeah. And so, she broke up with Eric. Everything seemed cool. They both worked as uh, court clerks, but she worked as a court clerk somewhere else. Like, in another county, not in the same same courthouse or anything like that. But they shared a similar job. And so um, they were both going to go to a conference. And he had called her up and he was like, hey, you going to the conference? Because they stayed friendly. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to go. How about you? And he's like, yeah, I'll be there. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll see you around. You know, just like we would to any colleague. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to the conference? Yeah, well, cool. I might see you. And so they go to the conference. And she spots him there, and everything seems seems fine until he follows her to a bar that he was, you know, she was going to go meet up some friends, and he followed her there, and he pulled the gun on her. Oh my gosh! And told her that, yeah, <laughs> and he told her that, you know, if she tried to leave, he was going to shoot her, and. He was trying to get her out of that bar, probably for nothing good. Dang. And her friends noticed the situation. Like, they noticed that, like, they can't see the gun. They just see her from behind, but they can tell that she's 
you know, physically tensed up and mm-hmm. they're like, that seems weird. So they go over there and they got, they got her away from him. They were like, you know, what's going on? And like, she's with us and Eric takes off. Like she goes into the bathroom to calm herself. And when she comes back, he's gone and she reports him to the police. Like she goes to the cops, mm-hmm. reports him to the police. They find him the next day at the conference. Like nothing happened. Like he was cool. And like, he was like, Oh, what? what's going on? Like he was just like, I didn't do anything wrong. Wow. And so, yeah, they got him. Janice, you know, went to go file her, her full report. And they told her that his judge, Judge Ashworth, mm-hmm. was going to take responsibility for him. Oh. And they were going to send him back to Kaufman. So he took full responsibility, promised that he wouldn't bother her again. And the cops basically told her if he did bother her, that she should contact them and they would file her report and arrest him. So the judge called and was like, no, I've got him. No worries. She, I won't let him bother her again. And the police were like, okay, cool. And sent him off wow. on his way back to Kaufman County. Okay. And yeah, it's nice to have friends in high places. Exactly. And then she went on to, you know, he did, he, as promised, he did not bother her again. And she just, you know, went on her, her life and got into her serious relationship and went on to, to live her life and never heard from him again, which was a, a good thing. But still, it was like he received no punishment at all and was just sent home. That's amazing. In 1990, yeah. <laughs> in 1996, he posted on an internet message board, and a young, fit, really attractive woman named Kim Johnson read it, and she thought he sounded really smart and funny, so she messaged him. And that's pretty much how he met his future wife. And so Kim went to college at SMU. And she wanted to go to law school. She worked with a lawyer for a little bit and then decided that the law was just not for her. Uh-huh. So she went to work for a doctor. And she quit that job. She worked at a hospital. And then by the time she responded to Eric's internet post on a message board, um, you know, she, that's, what, that's what she was doing. She was working at a hospital. Not like as a nurse or anything like that. I think she was quality control. So... Okay. And it sounded more like a customer service type job and not a medical job. Um, Eric's family thought she was a bimbo. Oh, no. <laughs> and yeah, and it's just like, oh, poor Kim. Uh, so they started dating. Um, while they were dating, she mentioned that she was going to go meet a friend at a bar. You know, like she was going to go meet up a girlfriend mm-hmm. and they were going to, you know, just hang out, have a nice time. And he followed her there and just showed up like it was totally normal. Wow. Like, just checking up on you. And she thought he was just being protective and that it showed that he loved her. So she continued to see him. Huh. Like, 
Interesting. It was a big red flag to her. It was like, oh, no, he's just being sweet. And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, that's, that's not being sweet. Uh, so they eloped in Las Vegas. They mm-hmm. just went and got married. Um, Eric graduated from law school in 1999. He uh, passed the bar and he started working in a law firm that his friend, which he met through Judge Ashworth, Mm-hmm. That was his law or her law firm, so he went to go work for her. He started to work on CPS cases and became a children's right lo- children's rights lawyer. Wow! And yeah, he and it seemed like he was being named guardian ad litem for many cases in the county. So he um, was you know, had a pretty good career. So he had his his own little, like he worked for that law firm and whenever they had to appoint like a, a court appointed attorney to a child in that kind of case where he would have to put, he's like the guardian, mm-hmm. the court would assign those cases to Eric. There were other lawyers in the County that were also in that rotation, mm-hmm. so kind of like legal aid, um, but it was specifically for children. But Eric got a lot of those cases as opposed to other lawyers. Okay. And it was very much implied that it was because of Judge Ashworth, really. Okay. So, um, many people thought that he was, you know, an advocate for children. A lot of the people that he had to deal with on the other side, you know, there's always parents that are on the verge of losing their children or, you know, I mean, if he's being appointed guardian ad litem, it's for a reason. And so there was a lot of um, speculation that he was manipulative and he plays favorites, um, including like he sided in one case, he sided with the father that was clearly unfit and had caused damage to his child. And, was abusive and all that, and Eric sided with him because he liked the dad more than he liked the mom. Oh my goodness! Like that, yeah, like that kind of thing. Like when they said that he, you know, was manipulative and he played favorites, that's the kind of thing he did. So it wasn't about what was in the best interest of the child. He was like, I don't like that lady. I like him, and I'm siding with him, even though it's like he's the whole reason that this is happening because he's being abusive. Hmm. Wow. So he wasn't really doing like his job the way he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, eventually, he ended up leaving the law firm that he was at because there was a dispute over the fees. So the lawyer that you know that was their law firm, she basically went and asked him about some of the billings and how the law firm is supposed to get a percentage of those billings. Mm-hmm. And Eric would not give the law firm the percentage. He would just keep the money. Uh-oh. And so, yeah, so they were like, yeah, that's not cool. Mm-mm. You got to go find another job. So he left the law firm. He wasn't fired. Mm-hmm. He was given the opportunity to just resign, and he did. Um, and he was he seemed pretty fine with that. He was making a lot of money doing the CPS cases, really. So he was like, that's fine. And so around that time, he joined Mensa. So, I mean, like, he was, he was smart. Wow. And he thought, yeah, he, he joined Mensa and he thought that that made him, like, 
the coolest dude in the courthouse. Oh my gosh. Which is just like, yeah, you're still the you're still a big nerd, dude. <laughs> uh, so around that time, Kim was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And so she ended up being put on a bunch of painkiller medication. And then she was diagnosed with something called Sjogren's syndrome, okay. which I'd never heard of, but it's a condition that prohibits the body from producing moisture. Ooh. So, yeah. So, like, she would not be able to, so, like, saliva and tears and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like, wasn't something that she was producing. So, because she didn't produce saliva, her teeth, like, rotted and fell out. Oh. And she was losing teeth because of it. My goodness. And was, I was like... Yeah, I was like, I've never heard of this ever before. And Kayla had been a really attractive woman. Uh-huh. Um, one of his friends, one of Eric's friends, said, you know, like, Kim was hot. Eric was not. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, and this is his friend. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when this started to happen to her, like, she just really got into the, the pain medication. So her doctor had prescribed, you know, quite a bit of narcotics to deal with uh, rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, tried to give her stuff to help with the, the moisture in her body. Mm-hmm. And, um, but all this stuff just caused her to be really ill. And Eric seemed like he had a change toward her at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he suddenly didn't want to have kids. And when they got married, you know, they were dating and they got married, like they both wanted wanted a family. And Mm -hmm. then suddenly he was just like, I don't want to have kids anymore. Wow. And so she was like, what would, what would, she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, what happens if I get pregnant? And he told her that she would have to take care of it or he would divorce her. And by take care of it, he means you'd have to have an abortion or I'd divorce you. Wow. I mean, he was, yeah, I mean, he was, he was a great dude. So Kim had to quit her job and she went on disability. She really never saw him all that much. I mean, she got lonely. She spent all her time at home. She was either on her pain medications all the time and asleep, or she would be on Facebook and just not doing anything really. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, Eric said he didn't want to have kids, and if she got pregnant, he would divorce her. She started to put all her attention on her dogs, you know, who she treated like children. And, like, you know, you know how much I love my dogs. Yeah. I treat my dogs like my children. Mm-hmm. At least I thought I did. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so, she would dress them up in clothes and have them wear diapers. Oh. Like, yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> so I was like, I mean, I love my dogs, and I'm like, I, I call them my babies, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, they're not in clothes wearing diapers. <laughs> right. So I was just like, okay, weird. Um, so by 2005, Kim thought Eric was having an affair. In 2005, she was like, I am sure he is seeing someone else. Um, she'd been sick for the entire time. She was losing hair. She had all her dental problems. He wasn't at home. And so there was a different accounts on this, like his secretary, the landlord at his office, 
and other lawyers said that, yeah, he wouldn't go home, but most of the time he was spending his nights at the office because he didn't want to go home. Interesting. Um, not that he was stepping out on her. Um, there we get emails from him late at night or see him sleeping on the sofa in his office. So they were, they knew he was at the office and not at home. Mm-hmm. While others say that they suspected he was fooling around and one person even claims that he saw him fogging up the windows with another woman. Ah, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, the thing is that these people who were like, oh, no, I saw the suspicious behavior and I saw him, you know, in a car with some woman, you know, fogging up the windows. But they were like, I don't really know Kim, so I don't really feel like I should tell her. So, uh, wow. You know, yeah. Um, and at some point, Eric said that he wanted a divorce, um, but then he changed his mind. <laughs> so, they did not get a divorce. Okay. <laughs> and Kim didn't want a divorce. She she did love him, um, but she was also like, she's on disability, you know, through him, they've got the health insurance and all that. So she was also thinking, like, what's going to happen to me if he leaves? You right. Know, she's sick. She can't maintain a job. So she did not want a divorce. And then eventually he just changed his mind about it. And so they stayed married. Things seem really good going on in their lives. I mean, their marriage isn't great, but it's not falling apart. They're just really not connected anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's doing his thing, and she's sleeping in on drugs wow. most of the time. So, um, but career-wise, he's doing really well. He's, you know, doing his CPS cases. He's, you know, highly respected in the community. A lot of people think that he's, you know, out there fighting for kids. And so things are going pretty well. And let's see. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Mike McClelland. Mike was one of the prosecutors that Eric killed. Okay. So Mike McLeland, he signed on to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services as a regional attorney. Mm-hmm. So he did a lot of different CPS cases in different counties. So he wasn't just in Kaufman County. Um, he was in several different counties. Mm-hmm. And he had a deal with Eric, and they both hated each other. Uh-oh. Like... Mike saw Eric as a mug, pudgy-faced wannabe, and Eric was jealous of Mike. Okay. And, you know, the thing is, like, when I was reading about these two guys, I'm like, if you two had just sat down and talked, you probably would have been really great buddies because you guys had so much in common. Hmm. Like, it was crazy because I was like, um... The difference was that Mike had gone to the Army, and he, when he left the Army, he left as a major. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's like, other than that, like, they both, they were so much like, they both had tons of guns. Like, they loved their guns, and they had them all over the place. Mike would hide them around the house just in case it was a shootout. Wow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but eric did too like eric had guns all over the place like in his office he hid one in the xerox machine like in the little bottom yeah um you know like tray two where we never put paper because we never need tray two <laughs> yes 
Eric, Eric had a gun there. Wow. <laughs> like, and I was like, you two should just talk to each other about your favorite place to hide guns and you would be friends. <laughs> like, but no. <laughs> he, Mike was married twice. So he divorced his wife when he met Cynthia. Cynthia was, had already been married twice at that point. So Mike was her third husband. They both had, they both ended up having wives that had like some serious health issues. Cynthia was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I'm going to say, if you two just sat down and chatted with each other, like, I love guns. My wife is sick. Yeah. You know, we're both attorneys working in CPS. You, you might have gotten along. Like, but, nope. And so, at some point, uh, Mike was working, like I said, in the children's CPS cases and all that. Mm-hmm. But he was also still taking cases as a defense attorney, which turned out to be a big no-no. And so they, it was a clear conflict of interest. And so they were like, you gotta, because he wasn't working as a court appointed lawyer. He was working for CPS directly. Okay. So they're like, you can't do both. And so he decided that he was just going to quit. So he didn't, so he wouldn't get fired. Okay. And because they all kind of worked in the same, you know, the same kind of areas, Eric knew about that. And so Mike decided that he was going to run for DA in Kaufman County. Mm-hmm. And the first, he, he ran twice. The first time he ran, he lost by 64 votes. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> And right before the election, Eric had written a letter to the local paper, a letter to the editor, and he was basically saying, do you all know why Mike left CPS? Um, you know, and just kind of throwing shade. Mm-hmm. And so he did this whole like letter to the editor where he basically explains that in Corpus Christi, where Mike lived before, he ran as a Democrat for a judgeship. Well, Mike's a Republican. Okay. And so he ran as a Democrat because he thought he would, he would have a better chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, you know, that's kind of a sleazy thing to do. Right. And then he mentions the whole thing about, you know, being fired from CPS and about lying about that, you know. And so he throws all this shade in the letter to the editor and Mike loses by 64 votes. And so Mike thinks that Eric cost him some votes. Okay. And so that's it. You know, he already thought Eric was this big, you know, geeky wannabe, army wannabe guy. And now he was like, and now he cost me this election. Which I was like, okay, Mike, but I mean, you did it. Like, <laughs> Eric didn't lie about anything. Uh-huh. You did those things. Right. <laughs> like, you, you still did that. That was still you. Exactly. And the DA that he had... Right, yeah. And the DA he had run against had been the DA in Coffin County for a really long time. Uh, that DA really liked his booze. 
Uh And so he had gotten pulled over for DWIs a couple of times. And that's pretty much what Mike was like, you can't trust this guy. Look at this and look at what he's doing. Uh And Mike has a law degree, but he's never been a prosecutor. So he doesn't have any experience in that. Uh And so he's like, you know, I'll come in and I'll clean up and blah, blah, blah. And then there's a letter to the editor that's like, yeah, but Mike's a liar too. So, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's how Mike ends up hating Eric, and Eric, of course, never liked Mike. Kim at this point is sleeping all the time. She's on Facebook playing games like Mafia and Farmville. Like, that's pretty much Kim's life at this point. Like I said, they didn't really have much of a relationship. They would, Eric would play these games with her on Facebook. Mm-hmm. She would have his. Like, her laptop, he would have his laptop. They would sit across the table from each other. And that's how they interacted. Wow. Like, yeah, can you imagine? Like, you have a laptop in front of you. Your husband's right across the table from you with his laptop. Mm -hmm. And you guys are playing games on, like, you're playing Farmville on Facebook. Yeah. And that's it. That's that's date night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? I was like, that sounds awful right <laughs> get a divorce guys <laughs> like, <laughs> that sounded i was just like when i read that i was like that sounds terrible it does like, i cannot okay so eric is still working his cps cases he is making a ton of money and the way he's making all this money is that the lake hoffman county works mm-hmm. is so eric is still you know being paid for being a court-appointed attorney okay for these CPS cases. And so he basically turns in these vouchers saying, I worked this many hours doing this. Okay. And that equals up to this much money. So that's pretty much how they would do that. So he was filling out his own billings. Uh. So, yeah. So he was padding his billings. He would say things like, it took him three hours to read a document. You know, and it's just mm-hmm. like, it was this document like 600 pages long. Like, what? <laughs> like, why did it take you three hours? Like, what's going on? Yeah. So, stuff like that. Like, that's how he would bill. So, Judge Early Norville Wiley, she was assigned to take over the CPS assignments. And she found that Eric was at Lightham for nearly all of the CPS cases that needed a court appointed guardian. Mm-hmm. which she thought was really weird because it was supposed to be a rotation. Mm-hmm. Then she looked into his billings and discovered his very creative billing practices. And she decided that she needed to have a talk with him. Okay. So he shows up to the office, you know, and she's like, she hands him a document and she's all like, read this. And so he reads it and she was like, how long did that take you? And he was like, I don't know, like 30 seconds. And she's like, do you want to tell me why you put the, it took you three hours to read that document on this billing? <laughs> you know, and he was, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he basically said that he lumped many activities into one billing, you know, so it wasn't like, yeah, I put that I was reading this document, but I actually did all, all this other stuff at that same time. And I just put it all together on one slip. So he was saying that that's what he did. Um, and she was like, okay, yeah, I could see that, except that what you just told me you did during this three-hour reading document session, you also billed the county for that same thing over here. 
Oh. So she's like, so, like, what is it that you're doing? So she was basically like, look, dude, I just want you to fill out an individual billing slip for everything you do. So if you're reading a document, 30 seconds, I want a billing for it. If you're, you know, whatever you're doing, I would need an individual billing for everything you're doing. Basically, I want this itemized. Wow. Because now she can't trust him. Mm-hmm. And so she's not firing him. She's not telling him that she's taking him out of the rotation. She's not even telling him that she wants her money back. You know, like she's not like, you, gotta, you owe the county this much money. Yeah. She's just like, stop doing it. Right. <laughs> You know, like, that's it. Just stop doing it. And he is so pissed. And so he's just like, he leaves. He calls back later and he says that he wants off the CPS rotation. He doesn't want to do it anymore. Wow. And Judge Rutt, yeah. I was like, go through with it, dude. <laughs> and I was like, and you didn't really even get in trouble. Like, she was just like, yeah. stop doing it. <laughs> like, exactly. and that's it. Just stop. And, you know, no one's going to, that's it, just, just don't, don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she, Judge Wiley thought that that was great. She was like, oh, good. Because now she didn't have to deal with him. Now she didn't have to, like, comb over everything that he turned in. She was like, that makes everything easier for me. So, mm-hmm. great. I don't want Eric doing this anyway. Okay. So... That's how Eric was making pretty much all of his money. Like, he wasn't really working. Like, he opened up his own little law practice, and he would do a little bit of things, you know, little stuff here and there for people. Mm-hmm. But mainly, it was CPS cases. Like, that's really what he was doing. So, when they, he asked to be taken off the rotation, he didn't really have really anything to do. Uh-oh. Like, he had a few cases here and there, a little bit of law work that he did, but... That was pretty much his money. Wow. Like, that's, yeah. So he had to call Judge Wiley back and say that he wanted to be into the rotation again, <sighs> which was not something that he wanted to do. Uh-huh. Like, he was so, he felt humiliated. You know, I mean, he had to call her back and be like, I changed my mind. I went back on the rotation. <laughs> yeah. We should have thought about that. And so. Yeah, before he was like, and it seemed like, you know, he was, he was pissed off that he had been found out, that he was called out, that, you know, they knew what he was doing, but he was also a little pissed off that he was being bossed around by a lady judge. Got it. Let's just be real. He was like, not happy about that. This is a little funny thing. This is one of the funny things that I thought Chris would find really amusing. Mm Mm-hmm. So after Eric watched Kevin James and Paul Blart Mall Cop, yeah. he decided that he needed a segue. <laughs> so he went and he bought a segue and he rode around the neighborhood on it oh. like a total nerd. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And so around that time, he decided that he was going to join the Texas State Guard, mm-hmm. which was like a like an Army Reserve type thing. They weren't real Army, but they acted like Army, you know, and they had ranks and all that. 
Uh-huh. And so he joined the Texas State Guard as a lieutenant. So when that happened, he would ride around on his Segway wearing his camo, and he would always have a holstered gun on him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so he would patrol the neighborhood on his Segway in camo with a gun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I like, can just picture that. Yeah, I was like, I cannot wait. <laughs> well, and Eric was short, pudgy, had glasses. <laughs> like he was, he was so nerdy. <laughs> well, you know, I've never been and to Red- Kaufman, but I can't imagine that it's very big. So, what would you even need no. it for? Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, <laughs> that's amazing. And he's riding around on his Segway. Yes. <laughs> So, at this point, so now it's 2009, Eric decides that he wants to run for justice on the peace. And so, in 2010, he ran as a Republican, mm-hmm. and he won. So, he actually unseated one of, like, the, the last, one of the county, the justice of the peace that was there, that had been justice of the peace for forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... He ended up running, and he and he won. Um, so Texas doesn't require justice of the pieces to be attorney, mm-hmm. and the previous justice of the peace wasn't. He was he was just a good old country boy. Like okay. he didn't. And so Eric won, and he was now a judge. You know, as a justice of the peace, he was now a judge. Wow. And he would proceed over small claims and traffic violations, you know, nothing big. Mm-hmm. But still, like, for someone like Eric, who was always power hungry, like, this was, this was great. He was now, he was now a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, that same year, Mike ran for DA again. And this time, he won. So the guy he lost the last time to got another DWI. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> and it was it was easier for Mike to beat him this time. Got you it. know, it was like, yeah, still a drunk guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, they both ran for an election and won and started to serve in 2011. And again, I'm like, y'all should be friends. Right. Like, just have a little chat with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike thought about joining the Texas State Guard as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he had his military background and all that. And so he thought, you yeah, know, this might be fun to kind of keep my, my hands in the Army type mm-hmm. situation. So he went to a meeting and he declined to join because, and I'm quoting him here, they were a bunch of Army wannabes. Oh. So Mike was not interested Got in it. it. And so he decided not to. Uh-huh. Um, and as far as I can tell, that was really the reason that they did not like each other was that Mike actually went into the army and had that very type of mindset. Uh-huh. And Eric wanted to be in the army and was rejected by it. Got it. And so... Because like everything else was like, you guys have so much in common. If you had just talked about some stuff, I mean, I think Mike would have laughed in Eric's face if you saw him on the Segway. Right. But I think that's any normal person. <laughs> 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 but 
I mean, I know if I see a pudgy guy on a Segway wearing camo and a gun, I'd, I'd probably laugh and then just be like, that was a weird thing. Yes. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so, Mike is now the DA. Eric is a justice of the peace. And Mike has a new lawyer that's coming into the, the office. His name is Mark Hassey. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark was a little kind of apprehensive. He took this job at the Kaufman uh, DA's office because he was actually friends with the previous DA, the oh. one that Mike beat. Okay. And he had been hired like right at the end of that election. Mm-hmm. So he had been hired by the other guy who lost. And so now Mike was the DA. So he was a little like, oh man, yeah, <laughs> it's going to go. Exactly. But Mike really liked him. Yeah. Mike really liked him though. And he really respected him. And he thought, you know, they were opposites in many ways, but he liked Mark's style. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you find out a little bit more about Mark, you're like, I can see why. So Mark had been a DA in Dallas and he had tried many and won a lot of big cases and he put a lot of people away. Mm-hmm. He was really good at his job. Um, and many lawyers had not only heard of him, but they would go see his trial work. Like, so if he was doing a trial, like lawyers would just be like, I'm going to watch that. Wow. And so, yeah, he was really good. And in 1995, Mark participated in something called the Freedom Flight, mm-hmm. which was a vintage plane caravan event that marked the 50th anniversary of the end of World War II. Wow. So he was, yeah, so he, he loved planes and he flew and he had a pilot's license and all that. Um, so Mark was, you know, on this little plane caravan, uh, flying a vintage plane and he had engine trouble and he crashed. Oh, no. And he, yeah, he was severely injured. He had fractured his skull. The doctors had to piece it together with metal. Oh. He had bruises. Yeah. It was, it was brutal. He bruised his left temporal lobe. And so he had lost a lot of his short term memory. Mm. He was in a, yeah, he was in a coma for a while. And when he woke up from the coma, the doctors weren't sure like how much brain damage he would have. And so that was pretty much the end of his law career, at least that's what he thought, you know. Mm -hmm. And so he decided that he was just going to fix planes. You know, he loved that. He loved the law too, but he loved fixing planes. So he thought, I'm just going to do that at least while my brain heals. Um, And so it took him a while because that was like 1995. And by 2009, he felt like his, brain had healed up pretty well. He, it, his memory, his short-term memory uh, was restored. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't having memory problems anymore. Nice. He never lost his law license. So he decided he was going to get back into law. Mm-hmm. And so he got started to do small jobs for friends, you know, wills, reviewing contracts, real estate stuff, mm-hmm. nothing that really involved like heavy duty stuff, but he was just basically trying to get back into, into the law. Okay. And so, in 2009, he decided to go back to the DAs, but he decided that Dallas was a little too much. So he took the job in Kaufman County. Okay. He I was, was wondering like, how you know, he got out Dallas there. Was gonna, yeah, he was like, Dallas was going to involve a lot more 
cases and also, you know, more first degree murders and stuff like that. So he was just like, he wanted to still be a prosecutor, maybe occasionally have a big case, but just kind of wanted it, it to be a little slower. And so he went to Kaufman County. Okay. That was Mark. Let's, let's go back to Eric here. So Eric was now justice of the peace mm-hmm. and he was doing a good job. Like people were like the, the people in his staff really liked him and they thought, you know, he was going to change things up, which was good. Mm-hmm. They were looking forward to, you know, some change in the office. Um, Eric had these great ideas about modernizing the courtroom. You know, he wanted to get monitors and Wi-Fi connections in there because they didn't have that kind of stuff. He wanted to do arraignments through closed circuit channels. So Mm. basically he could do the arraignments from the bench without having to go to the jail or having people from jail come to the court. Okay. So, but you know, at the time that was pretty progressive stuff. And so, you know, they they thought his staff thought that he was different, but he was doing a good job. You know, and so they were really happy about that. Mm-hmm. So Eric had also gotten permission to update the law library. Oh, and by update the law library, he wanted to you know get Wi Fi in there. He wanted to get a couple of laptops in there in case you know lawyers needed to come and do some research or something. They could do that and in between cases or whatever, whenever they were in the courthouse. And so he wanted to, you know, modernize the law library, which people were like, that's a great idea, but no one was actually doing anything about it. So he was like, well, why don't I do it? And they're like, okay, Hmm. there's plenty of money in the budget because no one's, you know, updated the law library in forever. So (laughs) go at it. You know, and so he was like, great. You know, he had ideas. He had good ideas, and people were, you know, looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And um, Lori Freemel, she was in the county's IT department. He, Eric had asked Lori about getting him a laptop, and she said, yeah, you know, no problem. Again, the previous disability piece didn't use his IT money, so she was like, so there's plenty in the budget, dude. So if you want a new laptop... You just tell me what you want and we'll get it for you. Nice. And he was like, great. You know, this is the kind of laptop I want here are the specs. And so, you know, everything seemed great. And I mean, you know how local government works. Man. You have to account for everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So he had to go to the IT department if he wanted toner for the Xerox machine or you know, if you need a new monitor or a new mouse or whatever, even the small little stuff, like he still had to go through the IT department to get that stuff so they could keep track and account for their supplies. Mm-hmm. And Eric didn't really like doing that, you know, like... Because <laughs> he wanted to ski he wanted toner, he, Yeah, like he was just like, oh, if I need toner, I mean, I know where it is, so I'll just go get it. Oh. And... Yeah, you know, and that's, it seems, you know, like, you know how it works. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been a part of the court for a long time, and, you know, you had to optimize everything. As a county employee, you know this kind of stuff, you know? And so, it was just like, I mean, it seems harmless, 
I know where the toner is, so I'm just going to go get it. Mm-hmm. Like, but someone has to keep track of that. One day he told his, his assistant that, oh no, his assistant told him that um, Xerox had delivered the wrong toner. And so she was going to call them up and say, hey, you gave me the wrong stuff, come pick it up. And Eric told her to take it to Tarot Office Supply and get a credit. What? And so she was like, yeah, so she was like, that's weird. This is county stuff. Uh-huh. So technically county toner, that was not the right toner. And instead of calling Xerox up and saying, hey, don't charge me for this toner. Bring me the toner that I actually need and come pick this one up. Uh-huh. He told her, take the wrong toner to an office supply store and get a credit. Wow. Yeah, so it's like, okay. <laughs> and so, so he was doing stuff like that. Like, one day, it was May 16th of 2011, Lori saw that she was missing three computer, computer monitors. So they had ordered a bunch of computer monitors. Mm-hmm. She had left them in her office. When she came back in, she saw that her stack of computer monitors was a little lower. Oh, no. And she was like, that's odd. So she called her boss, George York, and was like, hey, did you come and get some computer monitors, you know, replace some old ones or whatever? And he was like, nope, haven't haven't done anything with the computer monitors. So she was like, okay. So she started to look around for them. Mm Mm-hmm. She found a new one on Eric's desk. Oh, okay. In, yeah. In the closet of his office, she found his old one. <laughs> and so she thought, oh, did it, did it break? And so he just went and got another one and didn't call me. Uh-huh. So she took the old one to her office, plugged it in. It worked just fine. <laughs> so, I mean, he didn't replace it because it wasn't working. Uh-huh. He just wanted a new one. Got it. And so she was like, Okay, this is weird. So she decided to check out the surveillance footage. So there was a video camera in the hallway leading to the IT office, Mm -hmm. in the IT office, pointing at the equipment and supplies. Mm -hmm. And it showed that on a Sunday, Eric went into the IT office and took three of the monitors. Okay. So he was there when he wasn't supposed to be. Mm Mm-hmm. He acted pretty suspicious. Like, he looked around to make sure no one was there. He looked out the windows, like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just being super suspicious about the whole thing. And so, at first, she was like, Lori was just like, I'm sure he's going to send me an email or talk to me and tell me that he took the monitors and, you know, for what? Like, she was like, surely he's going to tell me, like, oh, I took these monitors because I wanted a new one, and I was going to do this with the other two. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He never brought it up. And so she was like, okay. Like, she thought it was super weird, not just because he could have come and told her he wanted a new monitor or come and gotten his own toner or whatever, but he also had a ton of money in his IT budget. Like, he didn't have to steal anything. He could have just ordered it. Yeah. But he had plenty of money in his budget for it, for anything that he wanted. Okay. So, they were like, why would you steal them? Yeah. (laughs) Like, it didn't make any sense to her. So, Lori took it to, 
the evidence to her boss, George York, and they went to the sheriff. Ah. And you put all those three monitors together, like the how much it was going to cost, and it was like $600. Okay, not much. Like, yeah, it wasn't much. It was just weird that the Justice of the Peace was stealing IT equipment. Yeah. <laughs> so the sheriff and the captain, like, they talked about it, and they were like, we have to pursue this, but we can't just let it go, mm-hmm. you know? And so Eric was well-known, and he was actually a friend of the captain because <sighs> they were both in the in the Army Reserve thing. Okay. So the captain was definitely like, okay, I cannot look like I'm doing him any favors. Yep. So they were like, we have to pursue it. I mean, at the very least, we can take it to the DA, which is what their job requires them to do. And if the DA is like, really, do just make them get back the monitors and we'll call it a day. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. So they took it to the DA, except that the new DA is Mike and he hates Eric because he thinks he's a piece of crap. Yep. And so Mike was like, let's throw the book at him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So, you know, Mike, one of the one of the things that he based his campaign on was that he was going to be cleaning up the county. No more favors for elected officials or cops. Uh. You know what I mean? Sure, he hated Eric, but this, this was not about that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike assigned Mark to the case. At first, Mark was so not into it. He was like, this is a small case. The amount wasn't like grand larceny or anything. He was like, you know, he's like, I guess this is why I joined, you know, a small county VA's office to, you know, deal with small cases. So he was just like, all right, I guess. I thought that Mike should assign a special prosecutor because everyone knew everyone else in the county. So he was like... Hmm. We really should look like we're being impartial. So we should bring in an attorney from somewhere else that doesn't know him, doesn't know us, you know, mm-hmm. and just that way everything looks kosher. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, yeah, so he was like, I, like if we're going to take this seriously, then we should ha- get a special prosecutor to do it. Mike did not want to do that. He wanted Mark to, per- to prosecute. So... They arrested Eric on May 24th of 2011. Okay. And Eric told the investigators that he replaced the monitor on his desk and that he was taking the other one, which was found in his car, to the jail so he could start working on his closed circuit arraignments project. And he said that the third one was in the IT room somewhere because he returned it. And he was like, I didn't need it after all, so I took it back. Okay. Which was not on the surveillance video, and they never found the third monitor. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't find it in his office. They didn't find it in his car. And Eric had called Kim from the sheriff's office and told her to take the monitor with the box that was on the bar at their home mm-hmm. to her parents' house. <sighs> so the third monitor was indeed at his place, but he was having Kim cover that up. Got it. So his story was, I replaced mine on my desk, but it's still there. Like, you know, he didn't take the old one home. He left the new one there. Mm-hmm. The other one was in his car because he was going to take it to the jail so he could do, you know, the stuff that he, his projects that he had told everybody he was going to do. Yeah. 
they couldn't find the third one. So because he was charged, he could not be the justice of the peace. So the one, the guy that was the justice of the peace before basically took office again. Um, oh. Eric was released on bail. They set a, they set a trial date. Eric hired some criminal lawyers to defend him. And lots of people in the County thought that this was just overkill and it reeked of personal bias. Okay. They were like, this is ridiculous. You know, if there if it had been a different DA in the office, they would have just told Eric to return the items. That would be it. Yeah. Mike was trying to make a point and uh. he was you know, trying to use Eric to make that point. And because it was Eric, you know, maybe he went a little hard on him because he didn't like him. Yeah. Um, if Eric was convicted, he was going to lose not only his job, but his law license, his health insurance for both him and Kim who needed it. Eric had diabetes. Kim had all her chronic, uh, illnesses you know he was going to lose his position in the texas state guard you know and possibly go to prison yeah like he could actually go to prison that's pretty harsh i mean for not liking somebody yeah, yeah for not liking him yeah um so after a bit and you know after mark like dealt with Eric a little bit more, he was like, there's something really off about him. Mm-hmm. Like, there was just something that Mark did not, like, he was like, this guy creeps me out. So he started to carry a gun. Like, Eric hadn't made any threats, but just, like, being around him and talking to him, and Mark was like, this guy, like, he creeps me out. Wow. So he was like, I'm going to start carrying a gun because he felt unsafe around him. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't like Eric didn't say I'm going to kill you or anything like that, but he was like, there's just something not right about him. And so he already kind of felt like there was just something weird about Eric and he didn't like it. Okay. And so, um, he still didn't want to prosecute the case. Like Mark was still like, this is just a glorified misdemeanor. And I don't like people like, this is, we should just deal this out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, after a little bit, you know, Mike and Mark talked about it, and Mark basically convinced Mike that we should offer Eric a plea deal. And let's just make it go away. Um, Mark offered him a deal where he would plead to a Class A misdemeanor, basically mm-hmm. abuse of office, and Eric would lose his judgeship but not his license. So basically, you know, he wasn't going to serve any jail time. He would have to pay back the $600 in restitution mm-hmm. and he would just walk away from the justice of the plea, uh, justice of the peace and just go back to his life, you know? Okay. But Eric said, no, he was like, um, if he took that plea deal, he was pleading guilty to a, a misdemeanor, to a class A misdemeanor, mm-hmm. which would mean that he would be violating the morality clause for you know the bar association and they would disbar him so he would still lose his license ah okay so he was like nope i'm not taking that deal and that was pretty much when mark was like okay buddy because he felt like that was a slap in the face he was Mm -hmm. like i was trying to help you out trying to get you out of this pay the six hundred dollars you can't be a judge anymore like yeah and you, you tell me no. So then Mark was like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Let's get to work. So he was like, let's set a trial date. 
And pretty much once Mark was set on having a trial, mm-hmm. Mark wasn't going to back down. Like he was, this was his job and he was going to do his job. Yeah. So he'd already tried to help him out. That didn't work out for him. So, okay, Mark was going to prosecute to the best of his ability, which was actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> he was really good at his job. So one of the reasons that people in the county, I mean, just listening to everything that Eric did and how hard they went after him, I was like, yeah, this was overkill. But a week before Eric was arrested, mm-hmm. a woman in the county's tax office was arrested for stealing more than $100,000 from the county. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So she got to plead guilty, served no jail time, had to have, she had to reimburse the city for the money she took, and 10 years probation and 300 hours of community service. Oh, no. Like that's, and so it's like, Eric stole $600 worth of computer equipment, and you want to send him to prison? Yeah. This woman stole $100,000, and you're like, girl, just just pay it back. You know what? Just, just, just give the money back. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on you for a bit and, you know, do some community service, but, you know, just mm-hmm. pay us back. Yeah. Yeah, this reeks of personal vendetta. Yeah, right? it sure did. It was just like... I mean, and I get that Eric was an elected official. So, I mean, you expect him to be above that, especially above, like, a county tax office clerk. Mm-hmm. But still, it was like, I get, I get that he's supposed to be, you know, representing the court of law and be above that and be, you know, an example, be setting an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like... You're going to send him to prison for something like this when you just let this other woman off completely and she stole $100,000? <laughs> yeah, that's a big difference. So, yeah. So, they decided to proceed. A month before the pretrial motions, Mark's second chair was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so she had to go into, into treatment. So, he needed to find someone else to be his second chair. Mm-hmm. Well, guess who decided to be his second chair? Mike. The Yes, the brand new district attorney of Kaufman County decided he was going to second chair this case. Oh, my goodness. And it's just like, do you, do you want to again say that this wasn't a personal vendetta? Because mm-hmm. that seems like not true. <laughs> right. And at this point, Mark was all in on this. Like once it became a, a trial, he was like, okay, you rejected my plea deal. And, you know, he was, he found out a little bit more about Eric, you know, the ex-girlfriend thing and all that. Like he was, so he was like, all right, well, I'm going to do my job. Mm-hmm. And so he was basically going to try this case and win it because he was a good prosecutor. Yeah. And even though he thought this was nickel and dimes, it was like, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do my job. Right. Um, throughout the whole thing, Mark, you know, did talk a little bit about how he thought Eric was off in that there was some, that he was sure that Eric was capable of doing something terrible. Wow. Like he had heard about all the, yeah, like he just, he was like, he just could sense that. And, you know, I think being a prosecutor in Dallas County, 
and him having to like put away some seriously bad people. He's been around yeah. bad people. Uh-huh. And so I think I think he could read people really well too. So even though Eric everybody's like, No, he's really nice and he's, you know, a child rights act advocate and all this and Mark is just like, I don't know, man, he's got that same look in his eyes that I've seen in killers. So Wow. <laughs> you know, he's like he's like Okay, if you think so. Well, and you um, know, he it, found out about it, it's almost like he's as long as he gets his way, he's good, right? You know, he can exactly. steal all the money and do everything that he wants to, but once he gets caught or once something happens, it's like, no way, dude. I'm, yeah, he's mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you know, he found out about all the guns he stashed all over the place. Oh, Eric had like threatened people. Mm-hmm. Um, what he had threatened, you know, of course, his ex. Um, he and Mark found out about that, and he he thought that that was terrible. Like he was just like, you know, what kind of man does that? Mm-hmm. So I agree. I'm like, yeah, seriously, like not a good man, right? And he found out that um, Eric had threatened to kill a lawyer that was in. Um, a firm like right next door to him and it was it was like nothing serious like they, the lawyer didn't do anything to him I think he missed like an appointment or something mm-hmm. and he had called and left a message on Eric's machine telling him like you know they weren't they were going to have to reschedule or something and Eric lost it and just went over there and was going to threaten to kill him and his family and his kids oh. he's just like okay wow. <laughs> like, that was that was a weird reaction. Like I missed an appointment, right. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, okay, dude. <laughs> like, all right. You know, and yeah, there was just stuff like that. And so Mark like, I don't like this guy. Mm-hmm. And the more he found out about him, the more he was like, yeah, I really don't like this guy. Okay. So March 19th of 2012 is when Eric's trial started. Mm-hmm. While the trial was happening, the sheriff was still looking into Eric. So remember what I said about the copy supply store? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it turns out that Eric had access to the money at the law library, too, remember? Yes. Well, he ordered stuff from the co- copy supply place with the credit that he would amass from returning county stuff. Mm-hmm. Using the money from the law library where he would order stuff for himself on the county's dollar and uh, have them delivered to his office. Nice. So he was basically stealing from the county and more than just taking computer monitors. Okay. Um, so while he was on trial, they indicted him for a bigger theft. Yeah. <laughs> they finished up the trial. He, the jury deliberated for four hours and they found him guilty for the computer monitor theft. Mm-hmm. His lawyers asked for the judge to rule on sentencing and not for the jury. And the judge granted the motion. So there was a break given so that both sides could prepare their sentencing arguments. So on June 19th of 2012, they had the sentencing phase. And Eric was sentenced to probation for two years. 80 hours of community service and fined $2,500. So he lost his judgeship 
And due to the felony conviction, he lost his license, too. Mm. So he didn't go to jail. He got probation. Mm-hmm. He had two years of probation. He got 80 hours of community service and had to pay back quite a bit of money. Um, but he did lose his entire livelihood. Yeah. He lost his law license, so he couldn't practice law anymore. Lost his judgeship, which means he was going to lose his uh, health insurance and all of that. Mike was pretty pissed off that Eric didn't get any jail time. <sighs> yeah. Like, he thought that this was terrible and he should have gone to jail. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's just like, all right. A lawyer from Dallas was in Hoffman County. He was a special prosecutor on the murder trial named Bill Worski. Mm-hmm. And Mark was, like, super impressed by his trial style. He thought he was an excellent attorney. Mm-hmm. So he told Mike's assistant, Randy Fernandez, that if anything happened to him, he wanted Bill to prosecute the case. Oh. And it was like, yeah, he was like, that's kind of weird, you know, that he would be like, if anything happens to me, you get Bill to fight for me. Yeah. And she was like, like, okay. <laughs> you know, but at this point, Mark was really worried about Eric. He had told many of his friends and his co-workers that he thought Eric was dangerous mm-hmm. and that he thought that one day Eric was going to snap. Like, he, was, he was still going to do his job, of course, but he was just like, I think I think there's something wrong with him and I think he's got potential to like really be a killer. Wow. Um, which he wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Eric started, he started to plan. Um, because he was convicted of the felony, he had to give up his guns, uh, which he did not really. <sighs> he got one of his Texas State Guard friends to rent him a storage unit, and he put all of his guns in there. Um, no one checked to make sure that he, like, did with his arsenal. Like, no one, like, no one asked him about it. Like, no one official. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, he started to, he started to plan because he was really mad. Um, he bought a car, a used car, like off of Craigslist or something. Mm-hmm. And he started talking about how he was going to kill Mark and he started planning it and he wasn't just going to stop at Mark. Like he had a whole list of people that had wronged him and he was going to he was going to kill them. Oh. So, yeah. So he decided that he was going to go after Mark first. Mm-hmm. Cam at this point was so drugged up all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, she she would hear him talking. She'd be like, uh-huh, yeah, like, okay. But it never occurred to her that maybe she should get out of there or call the police or anything like that. And, to be fair, Kim was also really pissed off about the whole thing, too. Yeah, because... You know, it, she felt like they had gone after him, and now they had lost everything. Uh, right. Um, does that mean that anybody deserves to be murdered? No. Right. Like, you know what? People start over all the time. Yes. Get a job. Go out there. Do something different with your life. You have responsibilities as a, as a human being. Just go and start over with your life. Yeah. It's not easy... You know, that, that's not an easy thing to do. To start all over is hard. It's hard to start all over at any age. But, you know, when you've already established a career and a life, 
it's hard to start over. It is, but... Uh, you can do it, and it's doable. Right. And, I mean, killing people, if you get caught, right. you're going to jail and losing <laughs> everything anyway. He decides that he's going to go after Mark. He starts talking about it. He, he's calling his plan, um, like, the tombstone. He's calling it tombstone because he's going to do it in the middle of the day, basically at the courthouse. So he's referencing the movie Tombstone, mm-hmm. you know, when they have their big shootout, like in the like main street of the town in the middle of the day and all that. So that's why he's calling it Tombstone. Okay. He buys a used car online, hides it in the storage unit that his buddy rented for him. By the way, his buddy asked no questions. He just rented a storage unit and gave him permission to use it. <laughs> My gosh. Hannah <laughs> okay, first doesn't really take it seriously, but she's also drugged up all the time. Mm-hmm. And the night before the murder, Eric comes in and he's dressed all in black and he's like, This is what I, like he's like, This is what I'm gonna wear. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. He comes like, Okay. I'm <laughs> looking good, buddy. <laughs> like I was just like, all right. I can't believe that. He, oh, yeah. <laughs> he does this a couple of times, and I'll, I'll get into that. Okay. Um, so he he wakes her up early in the morning because she's driving. Like, mm-hmm. she's going to drive the getaway car. He's The plan is to drive to the courthouse. He knows where Mark parks. Mm-hmm. So he's going to go there, jump out of the car, shoot Mark, get back into the car, and they're going to drive away. Okay. And that's that's what he does. He wakes her up early in the morning. They go to the courthouse. He They sit there and wait for a little bit. Um, Mark parks not right at the courthouse. He kind of parks behind like a dry cleaner or something. Mm-hmm. And is walking towards the courthouse, and Eric gets out of the car, goes over there, and shoots him. Just middle of the day or bright, you know, early in the morning mm-hmm. out in the open, just shoots him, gets back into the car and Kim drives away. Wow. There were witnesses to the, the shooting, mm-hmm. but he was dressed all in black. Nobody saw his face. They, no one could say, Oh, it was Eric. I mean, Mike said that it was Eric because the only person that Mark ever talked about being afraid of was Eric. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, people saw it, saw someone dressed all in black go up to Mark. Um, a couple of people that were already walking towards work to the courthouse heard Mark saying, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then being shot to death. So he was and close so, enough to talk, well, first to recognize him um, and, yeah. and then to have a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, enough for, for Mark to, to say that he was sorry. Yeah. And Eric shooting him yeah they drive off take the car back to the storage unit drive back home in you know their own vehicle leave the bot car in, in the storage unit mm-hmm. and they get home ken takes some morphine and goes to bed okay and eric gets out a, an arm thing and puts it on and so when the cops come and knock on his door to ask him where he was like he's got his arm in a sling mm-hmm and they're like, well, what happened? You know, he makes up some story and, you know, hurt his arm. And so they're like, oh, okay. No one really checks up on that. Like, no one calls his doctor or anything or anything like that. No, granted, they don't really have any evidence at this point. Just Mike really thinks that it was Eric. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They don't really have any evidence. Um, except that because it was done there in town, this fell into the jurisdiction of the Kaufman PD. And if you recall me talking about the captain being a friend of Eric's. Yes. And being in the same state reserve thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Eric's arm is in the sling. He couldn't have done it. The end. Wow. So, yeah, they um, looked into it. Still, granted, you probably didn't have a whole lot of evidence. Um, except that the dude that rented the storage unit for Eric, which was a part of the you know, Texas State Reserves, mm-hmm. contacts the, the captain, the police captain, and says, hey, do you think that Captain Williams had something to do with this? Oh. And the police captain's just like, no, I don't think so. Like, doesn't, doesn't do what I think any cop would do and say, why do you think that? Do you know something? Uh-huh. And maybe he would have said, well, I've got him a storage unit. I don't know what's in it or anything like that, but I mean, I just think it's kind of weird that the person that he, you know, talked about all the time and how, you know, he got screwed over by this attorney that suddenly he's dead and there's a storage unit. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's just like, no, I don't think our buddy had anything to do with it. And they're like, okay, cool. And that was it. Wow. There was no investigation into that. Nothing, not even a, why do you think that he would be capable of doing something like that? Why do you ask? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, anything to promote that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know about you, but if something happens and I'm like, Don, do you think, do you think it was this person that we know? Do you think that they did something? Mm -hmm. Would you not ask me, why do you think that? Yeah. Do you know something? <laughs> Naturally, I would want to know why you think that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, just and a, uh, and a police. That seems like an odd thing to ask me suddenly. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a police officer who is uh, trained to question things, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem right. Mike is really concerned, not just about, you know, I mean, obviously he's really upset about Mark, mm-hmm. um, but he's also really concerned about his own safety. Mm-hmm. His wife, Cynthia, is really concerned about their safety. The police decided to basically give them more police presence, not just around the courtroom, but them as well, you know, Mike and Cynthia, because if someone went after Mark, there was a good chance they were going after Mike, too. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, we'll, we'll give them more police presence. Yeah. And they basically had a cop car parked out in front of their house 24-7 for like a month. Okay. Nothing happened. Like, no one came after them. Everything seemed, you know, as normal as it possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, even though one of their prosecutors was gunned down in broad daylight. Right. But no one seemed to make any attempts or threats or anything like that. And so the police detail was removed. Mm. And, yeah. And so a month after Mark... Um, this entire time, Eric is loving the coverage. He's doing stupid, stupid things like sending tips to Crime Stoppers. Um, yeah, because he just he thinks he's so smart. Uh-huh. And so 
he's sending anonymous tips and all this kind of stuff. Kim is in her drugged up haze, has no idea really what's going on. Uh-huh. And throughout this entire time, though, Eric is here still planning, and he's planning on killing Mike. And he's got his plan evolved a little here and there. But basically, he was waiting for the police detail to, to be lifted. He knew at least that much that they were going to be trying to protect him. Mm-hmm. And so once the police details was lifted, he set his plan into motion. And um, he had gotten rid of the car that he had used in Mark's killing mm-hmm. and bought another vehicle, like a Crown Vic, you know, kind of make it look like a police, like a cop car. Mm-hmm. Got one of those. I had that in the storage unit. And the night before, and this was like Easter weekend of 2013, he um, goes over, like, wakes Kim up, and he's like, I'm going to wear this outfit tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And he, yeah, I mean, Eric is so weird. Like, he made kind of a costume to look kind of like SWAT. So he was. He woke up Kim to be like, "This is what I'm gonna wear tomorrow." Oh my gosh! <laughs> and she's like, "Okay, like, <laughs> all right, Eric, sure." But again, he wakes up early in the morning. And she has to drive him over there. He's dressed. He looks like they're in a Crown Vic, so it looks like a cop car. He's dressed like, you know, kind of like he's there as a police officer. Mm-hmm. Knocks on the door. Cynthia opens the door, he comes in, he shoots her and surprises Mike, shoots Mike, and leaves. So it was like two minutes tops, but he goes in, shoots them, comes back out, gets into the car, and they drive away. Wow. Well, Mike and Cynthia didn't didn't exactly live in Kaufman County or in Kaufman City Limits. Okay. So the PD didn't have jurisdiction over Mike and Cynthia's case. The ah, sheriff did. Okay. So <laughs> the sheriff is not a part of the Texas Reserves and does not consider Eric a friend. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe some stuff is actually going to get investigated. Mm-hmm. The attorney, Bill Wersky, was called in. To basically be the special prosecutor, um, they absolutely needed to get someone that was not well known in the county or anything like that. That wasn't a part of the Kaufman County, you know, lawyer circle. Mm-hmm. So they did as Mark had asked. You know, if anything happened to him, he wanted Bill to be the one to prosecute his case. Mm-hmm. So they got him. And so he was heavily involved in a lot of the investigations and stuff like that. And basically after a bit, they were like, he sat down with both the sheriff and the police captain and the police captain was still like, I don't think it was Eric while everybody else was like, I think it's Eric. Mm -hmm. And basically that attorney was just like, okay, why don't we prove it? All the way. Like, if it's not him, then let's prove it, cross him off the list, and move on. Yeah. And if it, you know, if there is something there, then we need to pursue that. Mm-hmm. And 
all of this time, that captain never once mentioned his personal relationship with Eric, never mentioned that they were a part of the Texas Reserves, never mentioned the text that he got from the guy that had gotten the storage unit, none of it. Like, he was just like, I don't think it was Eric. Like, never mentioned that he had any kind of bias at all in this. So... I can't understand that. Eventually... Yeah, and eventually Bill found out, and he was he was pissed about it. He was just like, "You should have told us that. Mm-hmm. At the very least, you should have recruit like recused yourself. You should be like, I can't be a part of this investigation. I'm putting this person in charge of this investigation.' Yeah, you know, just for to look proper, you know. And so he was he was so mad. And then when he found out about the guy that had rented the storage unit for Eric and how. Months ago, he had sent the captain a text asking him if he thought that Eric had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And no one asked him. No one followed up on it. Nothing. So he was just like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, once they started to actually really focus in on Eric and really start investigating him, they found the evidence. They found the storage unit. You know, they talked to the guy. The guy finally admitted that he had gotten the storage unit. He he kept that bit of information to himself for for a bit, mm-hmm. and so he was a little more certain that Eric had something to do with it. And he finally disclosed the storage unit. Okay, they found a bunch of evidence in the storage unit, all of Eric's guns. They found um, just a bunch of stuff, and so they were like, okay. They found the, the, I think they found the crown. Did they find the crown bag in there? No, they didn't find the car. They found the title. So then, basically, the way Eric got rid of these cars is that he would leave them somewhere. They'd get towed, towed away somewhere, and that was it. Like, no one ever went to claim the car. So it just sat in the, like, tow truck place for a while. Wow. So when they had, <laughs> yeah, so when they had the title, like, they could locate the car. And they started getting getting evidence on that, and it all started to fall into place. Mm-hmm. They realized, so they searched Eric's house, and they found a couple of things in Eric's in Eric's place. Um, but they took his computers and his laptops and all that, which they could then prove that he's the one that made the just the Crime Stoppers with information that you know pretty much only the killer would know. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, and so they started to gather all this evidence. One of the weird things that they found in the house mm-hmm. was that there was a bunch of empty two-liter bottles, like Coke bottles. Okay. And that's what Kim liked to drink. She liked to drink Coke. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but she was like, I'm going to keep this two-liter bottle in the bathtub. So they found a bathtub full of, like, empty two-liter bottles. Weird. And it was just like, yeah, so it was so weird. The reason that that, I mean, it, it was weird, and I'm really glad you mentioned it. But one of the reasons that that sticks out the, like, so much is that when they were gathering the evidence in the storage unit, uh-huh. they found an empty two-liter Coke bottle. Oh. And so they were like, Kim was here. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So then they tied Kim to it. 
And they finally, they arrest them, and Eric is like, I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything. And at first, Kim was, was doing that too. She was like, we didn't do anything, like, you know, we ruined our lives, but we didn't do anything, and she wasn't talking. Mm-hmm. And then one of the police officers, um, I think he was an FBI agent, was like, well, let me talk to her for a bit. Mm-hmm. And he basically went in there and was super nice to her, you know, and he was just like, you know, I get it, and, you know, feel so sorry for you, and, you know, it was just being kind, mm-hmm. and so she finally was like, okay, I'm going to tell you, and she spilled all the beans, and she was just like, he's been planning this, he did this, he killed Mark, um, he went to kill Mike, and he killed, you know, Cynthia, and they just let it all out, mm-hmm. told them where they had dumped the... Because he had dumped some clothes and uh, part of the gun that he had used, part of the assault rifle he had used at Mike and Cynthia's. Mm-hmm. And so she told him, like, you know, she drove him out to this, to this lake and around where. And she took him out to the lake a couple of times, but she couldn't quite pinpoint where. And then uh, the FBI agent then was basically, you know, that she was confessing to was like, why don't we come out here at night? Because that's when she brought him out here. Mm-hmm. And so they brought her out there at night and she found it. She was like, oh, this is it. This is the spot. Wow. And so then they, um, then, yeah, so then they sent divers down there and they, they found the bag. Mm-hmm. Eventually, like it took them a while. And that too was kind of weird. They were like, it took, they would send divers down there. And then the last effort was, you know, taking her out there at night. And so then they sent divers down there in that spot. And they're like, if they don't come up with anything, then we have to call this done. Mm-hmm. Like, we've sent divers out there so much, and they don't find anything this time, and that's it. We're, we're done with this. Yeah. And they found the bag. Wow. And so, yeah, so then they had all this evidence against him, and Kim was testifying against him. And um, Kim made a deal, and so she got 40 years. Okay. And um, she has to serve at least 20 years before she's eligible for parole. Okay. And within a couple of hours, Eric was found guilty. They did the punishment phase because he was up for the death penalty. He killed two prosecutors. Mm -hmm. So he was, um, oh, they did not, they did not um, prosecute him for Mark or Mike's murder. They prosecuted him for Cynthia's. Really? Because, yeah, because there's absolutely no reason to kill Cynthia. Okay. So, you know, like, you could kind of be like, I mean, he, he broke. They pushed him to his breaking point, and he broke, so he killed Mike and Mark. Uh-huh. But Cynthia? Yeah. You know, like, Cynthia didn't have anything, like, she... She was just married to Mike. She didn't do anything to him. She, yeah. But he killed. He killed her, and he killed her first before he killed Mike. So they prosecuted him for her murder, mm-hmm. and so they couldn't really introduce a whole lot about the the case of why uh. you know Eric lost it mm-hmm. because that didn't really have anything to do with Cynthia's murder. Wow. So I mean, it was. It was brilliant. I was like, that's, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so it didn't take long. Eric was found 
uh, guilty. Mm-hmm. And so then they moved on to punishment. And they um, brought in people, you know, the prosecution brought in people talking about, you know, the ex-girlfriend and all that, you know, the whole thing. The defense brought in people basically just kind of wanting to say, Eric was a good dude. This happened. It broke him. And he did this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to humanize him, you know? And so they brought in a ton of character witnesses, except that they were all character witnesses from forever ago. Uh, he didn't really have any close friends anymore. You know, he wasn't really close to anybody. So all these people that were there talking about how smart he was and about how nice he was and all that were people from his childhood. Wow. You know, people that he went to school with. but. Mm-hmm. No one that's like, oh, yeah, you know, Eric and I hang out all the time and he's my buddy. None of that. Like, that was just basically people from forever ago talking about how he was a good kid. Wow. So, yeah, and the only person that they really had was Eric's mom, but she was really sick. And so they uh, recorded her. Oh. And so she was pretty much the only person that was talking about how, you know, if he did this thing, you know, I mean, it's obviously not a good thing, but he has so much that he can still contribute, which I'm like, uh, does he? Well, <laughs> you know, but he's no, trying to save his life. Mm-hmm. And so he was sentenced to death. He got the death penalty. Oh, wow. 2014 when he got sentenced. Okay. So... Yeah, I mean, it's just like like a thing that didn't have to happen for many reasons. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, before going into this, I was thinking, oh, Mike and Mark are good guys. Um, And I think that they were, but they had a part in this. Well, I think Mark was probably the most innocent in all of this because he was like, I mean, I'm going to do my job. That was his job. Yeah. But... He was like, can we just not offer him a deal? And he, and he convinced Mike to, like, okay, let's offer him. We made our point. Let's mm-hmm. offer him a deal. Mm-hmm. And Eric was like, I don't want your deal. And so Mark was like, all right, then, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing my job. Yeah. And th- this is what I get paid to do. And he's not going to, you know, throw a case or go easy on him. But that's not his job. His job is to prosecute criminals. Yeah, and he tried to help out Eric as best as he could. Eric said no, and so he was like, "Okay, buddy, like this is my job, and I'm going to do it." Yes, the fact that the DA that Mike was the one that said, "Let's throw the book at him. Let's go after him with all we've got for six hundred dollars worth of computer equipment." Mm-hmm. Like that was the part that I was like, "This weeks of personal bias. Like you don't like him." And so, right, you're going to do, and by no means was Eric a good person. Mm-hmm. Like he, he did bad things. He threatened to kill the next girlfriend because she was leaving him. Like he wasn't a good dude. Yeah, like that. He was stealing from the county. He was always stealing from the county. He was padding his billing. He was taking money from accounts that you know he was supposed to be using to modernize the court. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't a good dude. No. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that he should be treated differently than, oh, I don't know, a court clerk that stole $100,000. Right. 
you know, it's just like, you didn't know he was a bad dude when you decided to prosecute him. Yes. But you knew that you didn't like him because he wrote a letter to the editor about you. Yeah. So you didn't know all this other stuff about him. Mm-hmm. Eric was not a good person. Mm-hmm. And he did something even more horrific yeah. than all the other things he had done. Well, and so the the $600, if he would have been found um, guilty for that, like you said, he still would have, you know, if he'd done the deal, he still would have lost his law license and probably the judgeship. So mm-hmm. he'd have been in the same situation of needing to find something, some other kind of job um, mm-hmm. to do. Um, right. So I don't know. Right, and he thought, yeah, and he, he thought he was going to beat it. You know, he was like, surely they're not going to find me guilty. I was like, the thing is, you did you did do that. You did steal from the county. Uh-huh. And the judge that sentenced you did not sentence you to jail time. Two years probation, 80 hours of community service. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it like, wasn't a big sentence. So what do you think about this in the, in the sense of if they hadn't done that, Eric would not have necessarily been caught if they hadn't prosecuted him for that $600. Mm-hmm. Um, I think eventually he would have gotten caught anyway. I mean, other oh, people... Oh, yeah, because he was still stealing. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that they may have done a good thing inadvertently and probably in the wrong way. But mm-hmm. I think that if anybody else had found him guilty later, he probably still would have ended up doing the same thing. Right. Right. And the thing is, I think though, if, if they had been like, okay, so he stole these computer monitors and he's got access to this other account. Mm-hmm. Why don't we start, like, investigating him? And if they had actually, like, built a case, like, with that big theft where he was taking all that money out of the law library's budget mm-hmm. and, you know, out of their accounts and, you know, going to the coffee supply store and getting credits and all that, mm-hmm. he might have gotten some jail time. Yeah. You know, like, they might have been like, okay, so you did this and then you did this. And then you did this, and we're putting it all together as one big theft. Yeah. Then, then they might have been able to get him some jail time. But yeah, he still would have gone after whoever because he still would have lost everything. And especially if he had gotten a similar sentence, you know? Mm-hmm. Ten years probation, you know, 100 hours of community service, and a, and a fine. Like, he, he was, no matter what he did, he was going to lose his law license because he could be disbarred under the morality clause of the of the bar. Yeah. Like, you have to live to a certain standard if you're going to be an officer of the court. Mm-hmm. And one of those standards is not stealing from your employer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, don't commit no crimes. <laughs> like, that's kind of... Kind yeah. of one of the, the things that <laughs> as an attorney, as a judge, as anything, as a police officer, like, 
you're held to a higher standard. Yeah, definitely. And and so it's just like, don't do these things and this wouldn't happen. Yes. And then that's what it all boils down to. It's like your choices to begin with mm-hmm. were not good. And then it yeah. leads you down a path that you can't recover from. Yes. So, and I'm guessing Chris isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was, at the end of my book, mm-hmm. there was a little, a little two-page section where it says, A Challenge for Readers. Okay. So apparently when they went through Eric's computer, there was a series of six strange emails that were sent to Eric around the time of the McLean murders. Okay. So the emails all had chapter numbers mm-hmm. and they were, um, so Catherine Casey here was like, maybe it's some kind of cipher, that mm-hmm. um, maybe there was some kind of hidden message in there. But then she realized that the messages were um, were quotes from Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Oh. But the phrases didn't come from any of the chapters that were cited in the emails. Okay. So, um, so she took them to the jail and asked Kim about them. And mm-hmm. Kim said she had no idea what they meant. Um, but she was like, the best Eric, like he loves playing the those kind of games. So they were like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she asked Eric about them. He appeared taken aback. He was uncomfortable. And he said he didn't remember them. What? So his reaction, yeah. So his reaction like left her wondering if there was more, like more to those messages those emails because she thought it was really like she thought his reaction was super weird yeah and so she's including them at the end of the book and she's like if you're a reader that enjoys solving puzzles Mm -hmm. you know have a go and see if you can figure out what it means she left them included with the spelling errors and the grammar like this is exactly the way they were okay and she hopes that someone can figure it out wow (laughs) like it's a weird little puzzle that they're like, I have no idea what it means. So I'm, I'll probably scan them and include them to see if anybody can, can figure it out. But yeah, the text is from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. The chapter numbers do not coincide with what is being quoted from the book. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's weird. There's six of them. It makes me wonder if there's some kind of connection to the like Dungeons and Dragons kind of role playing. If he did that with people online and he created or they created some kind of game that was real, right? Like there's some, yeah, like there's something, something out there. And, but. and the thing is, is that. Well, I guess he's already been, um, you know, sentenced to life. It's like, what does he have to lose? But he's trying to appeal. So that makes sense that if it were anything incriminating for him, um, he wouldn't want to share that. Right. Well, he still maintains his innocence. He's still (laughs) saying that he didn't kill anybody. He didn't do anything. So even if tied to the murders Mm -hmm. that he hasn't been charged for, he was only charged for Cynthia's, 
he still wouldn't want anybody to figure it out because then it would be further like, you want to keep telling me how you didn't do this? Yeah. And so, like, is he still maintaining his innocence? Or he sends something else that he doesn't want anybody else to know about mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with these murders. And it could be something simple like he stole some more money or he could have killed somebody else that yeah. Kim doesn't know about. Kim spent a big chunk of her time drugged up. So yeah, she wouldn't know. I mean, like, it could be anything. Right. <laughs> it, it could be about... The murders we know about, it could have been about murders we don't know about. He could have <laughs> stolen money or anything else that we don't know about. It's just uh-huh. like, because he, I was like, that is, yeah, I was like, now that, that's how you end a book. <laughs> so like, right? And early on, after they were sentenced, Eric and her would write letters to each other, which I thought they weren't allowed to do. But that's Apparently they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would write letters to each other. And then as she basically got, got out of her drug haze and um, detoxed and all that, she realized that, you know, not only how awful, the awful things that she helped Eric do, but also how she'd been manipulated by him. Mm-hmm. And she became really angry with him. And Eric had sent her a letter where he was like, I forgive you. Oh. <laughs> she was like, you forgive me for what? Exactly. <laughs> she, was, she was mad. I was like, uh, yeah. That's and amazing. Yeah. I did leave out a lot of stuff that they found in the storage unit. Uh, who he was planning to kill after Mike. The plans that he had which are crazy. You should definitely read the book to find out at least what other crazy plans he had. Yeah. Um, he thought he was being bugged, so the weird things he would do to talk in code, like... Wow. I mean, yeah, I talked a lot about his early life and some of the, the funny stuff, especially the segue. Never forget the segue. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I definitely <laughs> left out a bunch of stuff about everything that he had planned. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have been talking about this for over two hours. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then we'll do part one and part two. <laughs> this is what happens when we don't get to talk about murder for six weeks. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm like, I have to tell you all about this. And like I said, I didn't even get into like some of the crazy stuff that was found in the and all his other plans or anything. I was just like, let me tell you about all this weirdness. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely want to read the book and find out more about that. I mean, I never would have thought that there was so much behind it i guess we don't talk to each other all that often because of the whole quarantine thing and our separation and so it's like i got i got stuff to tell you (laughs) i love it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's so funny um all right okay so you have been listening to do we like murder a segment of the long overdue podcast we hope you have enjoyed this have a great day